It had to be you. Is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. Hello, romantics. Welcome to It Pod to Be You, the talk film society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Manish Mathur, and each episode I'll be chatting with a guest about one of their favorite romantic comedies from classics to modern hits. My guest today is Gavin Mevius. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, doing really well. Very excited to uh, talk about this film with you that you've picked. Um, would you like to introduce the film for us today? Oh, sure. Uh, so the film we're going to be talking about today is 1999's But I'm a Cheerleader. Uh, when you initially approached me with this, I was like, oh no, uh, I get very in my own head about things I'm going to pick, uh, and what they say about me and everything. But I looked through your list and I was like, you know, no one's done a queer movie yet. And I was like, this, this might be my chance <laughs> to, to get it out there. So, uh, but I'm a cheerleader, as I mentioned, made in 1999 by Jamie Babbitt. Uh, it's a film in which Natasha Leone plays uh, sort of uh, the perfect uh, straight-A student cheerleader. She's a Barbie girl in a Barbie world, and she basically gets um, sent away to a a camp where they've dis- where they're going to try and make her straight. Her parents figure out that she's a lesbian or has uh, gay leanings because she listens to a lot of Melissa Etheridge and she's a vegetarian. Um, and so they send her to this camp uh, in order to, quote unquote, straighten her out. And there she meets uh, and falls in love with. Wow, I'm I'm doing terrible at this. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, totally fine. Uh, there she meets and falls in love with Cleo Duvall, uh, who is another person at this camp. She's a, a young, rich girl who's also rebellious and, and kind of more comfortable with who she is. Um, and they kind of end up having to have this romance in this place where their romance is basically not even allowed, which I, I don't know. I, I love, I love the poetry in that. Uh, this movie, when it came out, it's, it's a very highly stylized. It clearly has some John Waters influences. Uh, but as Babbitt said, you know, John Waters isn't really interested in romance and, she wanted to make something slightly more romantic. Um, and it's very silly, very campy. Uh, I think some of its more extreme uh, stylizations turned some people off. It was very not well-reviewed when it came out. And uh, yeah, it's I don't know. I think it's a really interesting movie. I saw it at a really young age. Uh, and I think it sort of changed the way I thought about a couple things. Was that at all good? I apologize if it was not. <laughs> Uh, that was perfect. Um, well, I was just gonna ask you, like, do you remember, like, the actual first time you saw the film and, like, what kind of impact it had on you, like, at that time? Um, well, I, I think, as, as I said, I saw it a lot as a kid, and I think it was because I was a, I was a kid who had HBO, (laughs) and, 
I had very little um, restrictions on what I could watch from my parents. Uh, my parents are, uh, you know, my dad was a very nice, cool sort of guy, uh, pretty progressive. And my mom, who is still with us, is is very much that as well. And so they never really kept a lot from me. And I just remember seeing this movie. And, and HBO, like, the weirdest thing, I don't know what it's like now. I haven't had the channel in years. But it was like the Wild West back in the day. And it was the only way you could watch independent films. But you never knew what they were. There were always these things that came on in the afternoon. And you might catch them. And they would have weird names like, but I'm a cheerleader. Or welcome to the Dollhouse. Or Six String Samurai. And, uh... And so they, I don't know. I, I feel like that's how I saw a lot of independent films and a, a lot of queer films, to be honest. Uh, so, yeah. so I was probably like, I mean, it, the movie came out in 1999, so I would have had to have been like a later teen, like 16, 17. But I, I do remember seeing it, and like obviously I knew who RuPaul was at the time, and um, I don't know. I think I think it had like a a big sort of impact on the way. Uh, you know, I wasn't out at that time either, but uh, about the way I thought about things and about the way that I connected with it and how I felt and how the the certain elements that I could see of myself uh, in Natasha Leone's character. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, she. I think you know, like Natasha Leone in this film, even like kind of like contrasting to like what she's like now, it's like a very yeah feels like a very like a- anomalous character to her um, on and off screen persona now. Like she, I guess like honestly, I thought she was a lesbian like for the last like <laughs> like twenty years, but she's I mean, I was, like. I don't want to assume her identity. I mean, I don't know. She could be whatever. But I mean, she's you know dating Fred Armisen now, which right. is disappointing. <laughs> um, and, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess she's always kind of had that like very, um, I guess like more like a masculine kind of like a Catherine Hepburn type energy. Yeah, you know, like just very like like rejecting of like you know society constraints on you know female celebrities and. So seeing her in this film playing this, like, you're right, like, Barbie perfect character was so interesting and a very, um, very cool departure from, like, what I've known of her from, you know, like, Orange is the New Black and American Pie and, you know. Well, that, um, that's what I was going to say. American Pie is the same year. And you yeah, and you yeah. think about her character in American Pie and it, this is such a 180. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, she... Uh, um, like we'll get into sort of like the um, like the sort of this movie has like a satire of like gender construction, but you know I had not seen this movie before until you recommended it. It it's always been on my radar, and like just one of those titles, just like in your mind, like all the time, um, and just like well, like titles you just are just aware of. And I knew that this had been like kind of a queer cinema classic, and I think because like I was. 10 when this movie came out or probably 11 so i obviously was not out at that time either and like seeing this movie at like blockbuster or like other like video stores like i always just kind of felt like like weirded out by it like not because (laughs) of the movie but just because like i was just insecure in myself so i always kind of avoided it and then even like as i became like more like cultured with film, more comfortable with, like, you know, myself or whatever, like, I just 
I just it like slipped my mind, but I always kind of knew that like eventually I'll have to watch this movie and like I like and they would get it confused with saved a lot. <laughs> um, so I would always kind of like forget which one is which. And so yeah, but this movie like I I'm really glad that I watched it because I did really enjoy it, and um, I am glad that you picked a film because I feel like it's kind of bad that I haven't done one. Yet. Well, I was I was gonna say that's that's no slight on you, and also yeah, no, but I mean, there's like there's so many great like queer like romance films, and like I mean, granted, like I like to stick to the comedy angle, but um, yeah, like I like this movie is such a like landmark film, so I'm I'm really glad that we're talking about it, um, and I didn't even recognize I I don't think I've ever seen RuPaul. Um, not in drag. I feel like he's <laughs> hardly, you know, not in drag. So I didn't even recognize him. And I was like, who is that? He looks so familiar. And I was like, oh, it's RuPaul. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is funny that you bring up the comedy aspect too, because especially this time period, and especially when you think about uh, all the, you know, queer themed movies that were playing film festivals at the time, I think one of the things that sets this apart is it has a happy ending. And a lot of people yeah. talk about the trope of queer romances having to have that tragic ending. I mean, I think the, obviously the one that sticks out in in the mind of most people is Brokeback Mountain, which right. which is you know a full almost a full decade after this. But the but the I don't know. It's it's so interesting because I hadn't seen this movie in a really long time, and I, I rewatched it for this podcast, and I was just so pleased that it has a happy ending, even though, you know, in a, <laughs> this is much more uh, indicative or it's, it's much more in American movies, villains tend to get punished and in foreign films, they tend to not um, whether right. they're allowed to continue existing or, or they've amended their ways or, and I, one of the things I thought was really interesting in this movie is even though it has a happy ending, the villains, Kathy Moriarty's character, learns nothing. Right. And that's terrifying as I know the movie's a satire and I know that's what a, the problem a lot of people have with it. So they're like, oh, it's handling everything in a jokey way. But I think there's a lot of touchstones in the film that have a, a ring of truth to them that are, are used, you know, in the, in the ways that are major points in queer culture that I think a lot of, you know, a lot of straight people don't get or have missed or they can't relate to you know the I, right. the idea that the 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 people that come to rescue them from this uh camp bring them to a gay bar might seem silly to a straight viewer but that is one of the few safe havens that queer people have and i'm not saying every queer person has to go to a gay bar or has to like going to a gay bar but it's a place of community uh, that a lot of queer people or queer leaning people don't have in their real life. And I, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, sorry. And I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, I just think, I think that's an interesting thing. And I think it's an interesting thing that when you get to the end of the film, you have this, this monster and she is kind of a caricature, but there, once again, you, you look at <laughs> the way things are right now and it's like, Oh, I, I can see how she exists. She's just going to continue doing what she's doing. To me, like, like gay bars are kind of like the place where like 
gay, like, young people can sort of enact the, like, high school drama that, like, straight people <laughs> can have, like, in school. You know what I mean? Like, it's Absolutely. Like, and, I mean, um, like, I was reading some uh, article today, actually, that was about, like, um, it, like, it was an interview where the interviewer was a gay man talking about how, you know, like, in his experience, like, gay men tend to mature slower because, you know, they kind of don't get to have that like adolescent like freedom that straight people get to have and the subject of the interview was kind of surprised saying oh like she thought that like gay kids were more mature and it's just sort of interesting to see that you know like like there's just like a whole other like universe out there that i think you know queer people experience that i don't think that straight people understand and i I think it's, it's the same. It's similar in like on a, like a racial line as well. You know, oh, absolutely. Like people of color have the same experience of like there's this whole like subtext everything that we're aware of, and I'm sure it's the same with you know women or female presenting people. Um, so uh, yeah, I think you know like that's like one of the great things that I love about queer cinema is that it really um, can capture that. Um, that experience and it's always funny to me when straight audiences just like don't get it right (laughs) well that's i mean that i want to bring up two points to that first of all the the, going back to the thing you were saying about uh somebody not realizing or assuming that um that queer people are more mature i think that's a common misconception because a lot of times uh queerness it to straight people is boiled down strictly to sex and and i think that's you know, more often than not, where straight people get it wrong is they think it's it just all centers around sex. And the other thing that I was going to bring up about, you know, straight people is almost all the people that reviewed this movie at the time were straight. And, you know, hopefully I I used to work for Filmmaker Magazine a long time ago. I got out of, you know, the serious critical biz very early before you know before twitter before the internet was was like a thing that um is the way it is now and uh, i hope those voices are changing obviously there's so much more work to be done in the terms of of film criticism and and the people who do it there should definitely be more color in film criticism there should definitely be um you know different you know more in terms of sex and gender uh, yeah, and less less straight white people, but even the straight white voices sometimes get it right. However, you know, to a queer person, if you have to listen to your favorite straight white film critic tell you for the ten millionth time how much he loves Carol and how much and why he loves Carol, like it it starts to feel performative. It's it feels yeah. less, and it's like I'm glad you're an ally. Please stop. And and it's so right. so I think this is an interesting change because I was I was reading some of the reviews from when this movie came out and they are so devastating off the mark. First thing, oh, I was cringing reading some of that. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's horrifying, and I, I I'm not I, I don't want to like call out people, but there some of these people are still working, and the you know Slate ran a review called heterophobia. Um, oh God, yeah, and I like. Just a bit of a paragraph here, real quick. Uh, The author says, The movie, meanwhile, couldn't objectify its straight villains more. They've been cast with actors who can barely conceal their contempt for their characters. Megan's super-Christian parents are cult movie stalwarts, 
Bud Court, and Mink Stoll, neither of whom does much to make heterosexuality look like a viable lifestyle. <laughs> and then it goes on to say, you know, but I'm a cheerleader has a peppy girl group soundtrack, but it's visually an elbow in the ribs. Over design, the females' living quarters are pink and red and Barbie doll girly and shot with fisheye lenses. Nowadays, a straight film that makes homosexuality look repulsive would come in for justifiable criticism. And there is no reason a gay film that makes heterosexuality look unnatural and tasteless should be judged by a different standard. And, wow. And these, I mean, good to know that film critics, like, don't understand film. Right, right. <laughs> and and so, you know, it's it's hard to read these things and be like, yeah. oh, you just don't get it. And once and once again, I, this movie is a parody, you know, that, or, or has parody elements to it, you know. It's a love story. Right, like heart. the presence of Ming Stoll is, right. like, clear. Like, she wasn't cast for... No reason, you know. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, uh, for you know, I fucking love Mink Stoll. Can I swear? <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I love Mink Stoll. And, and seeing her is always refreshing. But, like, but it's, but it's weird to, to, like, to how judgmental is it to be like, oh, it's Mink Stoll and Bud Court, clearly not the pinnacles of heterosexual behavior. And, and right. what, what a weird, I mean, what a weird thing to attack the movie for. Um yeah, I don't know. It's it. I have I have a hard time with the lack of diversity and criticism, and I don't think, you know, I I hope we're further along than that, but I I, I worry that we're not that much farther along than that. Um, yeah, I mean, like I for sure I think that there's you know we have like miles and miles and miles to go before we kind of reach that like equilibrium that you know we all want, but. I do think that if this film were to come out today, at least like the um, cult following would be much more vocal. Yes, you know, like it, like may, like maybe it won't be like a mainstream hit, like a Love Simon or like a you know Call Me by Your Name or like a Carol. But I think for sure, like it would have like a dedicated audience that would like turn it into you know like memes and like gifs and whatever. And I think that would help raise its not only raise, like raise its profile for awareness, but also like raise it as like an important film, and like it would be recognized as something worth discussing and breaking down versus just like a because I feel like back in 1999, like before the rise of like the internet or at least like the internet going like mainstream, I think it would be easy for this movie just to get like tossed aside because like the few like establishment critics like you know, dismissed it, and then, like, no one ever hears about it again. And then it picks up through, like, you know, Blockbuster or HBO right. and stuff. Where I think now, like, there would be, like, a... Um, like, there would be, like, a campaign, like, there was for, like, Booksmart to, like... Right. We have to Like, this movie has to be seen because, like, you know, we have to support it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think for sure, like, it's, it's hard to read those old reviews of people missing the mark, especially when it comes to... Um, like the more like satirical elements of it. And I do want to talk about like the um, color design, especially in terms of it as like a satire of gender roles. Right. Well, real quick too. And before we do that, I do, I do just want to say one last thing about the reviews. I'd also, and I'm of a certain age. I'm, I'm about, uh, I don't know. I would say I'm like seven or eight years older than you. And I had never heard the phrase reparative therapy before um, in place of conversion therapy, which I think is interesting that, you know, it's, it's not that long ago. It's only 20 years ago 
that um, the language hadn't evolved, that, you know, not everybody had decided how destructive this type of therapy actually is to the people it's inflicted on. And yeah. so they were using this sort of, you know, kind of offensive term, reparative therapy, as though homosexuality is a mental illness that can be fixed. Um, so I just thought that was also an interesting thing. I, I genuinely had never heard that phrase before. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's it, though. I just, just a, a, a last little coda to be like, one, you're right, we have quite a bit of ways to go still. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, like, one thing that I was really um, pleasantly surprised by in how, like, aggressive the production design was in this film. And, I mean, when I say aggressive, I mean that, like, as in I know it's intentional and, like, I really <laughs> enjoyed it because it felt like... It felt like this movie had, like, a statement to make and was, like, very self-assured in its voice. And, like, Jamie Babbitt was very confident in her filmmaking in just the way that she was so self-assured in, like, how she presented, you know, the, the, the sets and the costumes. Absolutely. The movie does have, have a, a design journey because when it starts out in Megan, uh, who is, you know, Natasha Leone's character, when it starts off in her hometown... It you know it feels very much like sort of like the beginning of Edward Scissorhands, but there's you know uh, it has a more tactile feel to it. It has a more like an orangey brownie brownie look that it feels kind of like fall, <laughs> like a, in a, a world yeah. that's constantly in in the fall. And and then when she goes to this place and it, it does have its like electric blue you know hot pink gender roles the you know girls will dress one way boys will dress another um and i don't know i th- i think it's such an interesting i mean it's it's an obvious way to clue the audience into uh how artificial these gender roles are and how how oppressive they can be um by giving you these color um cues but i also just like the idea that uh this this conversion therapy camp that she goes to is a farce from the moment you see it, you know? And, and the fact that these, uh, the, the Kathleen, Kathy Moriarty's character and RuPaul and these people that run this place don't see it, you know? And there, and there's lots of little things. One of my favorite is, uh, you know, there's one scene where, you know, there's a montage where the, the women are learning to quote unquote be women and the men are learning to quote unquote be men. Um, and there's all these army cutouts and they're very sexually suggestive. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just like the idea that the, you know, uh, I think Roger Ebert actually said it best in his review, which is funny because it didn't seem like he liked the movie very much, but he gave it three out of four stars. Um, it, it, you know, he said that the, people in the heterosexual people are more obsessed with sex than the people that they're putting in these camps. And I, I think that's very true. And I think that, you know, it comes across obviously, you know, it's, it's some of the more obvious ways, but it comes across in everything that's in true directions. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, that kind of ties back to what you were saying about, you know, why, you know, gay teenagers or queer teenagers seem more mature is that because, you know, homosexuality, queerness, you know, whatever you want to call it is um, so uh, 
misrepresented as just being all about sex and not just about identity. Right. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's funny to see like, like RuPaul, you know, like under a car, like being very suggestive <laughs> and, and Eddie Cibrian and, and so like, that's funny, but it's also, um, a good, yeah, like a good joke on, you know, how like queerness becomes so sexualized when it's really not. And it also, you know, going like, you know, with like the pinks and the blues, like I, I like this movie because like, I feel like it's not saying that, you know, like, you know, queer women don't want to be like all queer women don't want to be feminine. They want to be, you know, it's not just like that, like reverse of like, all the women just want to be like dressed masculine and like the men just want to dress femininely. Like it's like, I like that, you know, Natasha Lyonne is a very feminine character and she doesn't, she doesn't change that throughout her, throughout the film, just like how like Claire Duval doesn't change the way she presents her gender identity. So I think it's like really interesting because it shows that like, um, queerness isn't like a binary. Right. Like it's not like, you know, the lesbians all just want to be men. Like, like, like that would be too easy of a like joke to make, but I think like I like how Jamie Babbitt is um she's really threading the needle on you know like how gender and sexuality play together. Right. And she and she even said uh you know when she was making the film that one of the things that she wanted to touch on was presenting a more femme lesbian identity. You know the 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 major queer lesbian films that had come out at the time Go Fish and Watermelon Woman which by the way if you have not seen please do. Uh, present, you know, a much more, uh, like, for lack of a better term, butch um, you know, view into, you know, what being a lesbian was like at that time period. And and she wanted to present, you know, that, that that's not for everybody. Also, one of my favorite things in the movie is there's this character, Jan, who is... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah she, she's female-identifying, but very male-presenting. And she finally breaks down towards the end of the movie and she's like i'm not a lesbian you know i like men and i love that they put this character in the film to point out that it's it's not simple none of it is simple but because visually you look at this woman and you think oh she's too masculine she must be a lesbian yeah i mean i I read somewhere that she might have been like coded as trans right i I don't, I mean, granted, you know, like, I'll apply all qualifiers of how I'm not qualified at all to talk about this, right. but, um, like, to me, I found it more, like, of course, it would have been great to have trans representation in this film, but, like, for one thing, I think in, like, the late 90s, like, that just wasn't something that was as mainstream as it is now. Like, I like I feel like now, like, there definitely would be, but... Um, I also think it's kind of refreshing, like, as you say, to have, like, a, you know, a cis woman who has a very, you know, butch look and presents that way, but she's straight and that's, that's acceptable, that's valid, that's how she presents and that's her life. And I, I like that a lot. Yeah, me too. And, and like, I, I mean, I read some things about that too. Um, I, it's not that I don't think the film is nuanced enough at that, but I think you're right. I think uh, essentially it's, it's sort of, it's it's sort of too early for that, yeah. um, which is not to say like it was too early in people's consciousness. There have been trans people, you know, since the beginning of time. Yeah. But I I think 
people making this film perhaps were not ready to tell that type of story. And, and I agree, it would have been great to, especially a film that deals so heavy with, you know, gender roles and gender identity, um, to have that in there. But, you know, I, I, I still like how it plays out for Jan and, and with the character. It's definitely like not what you would expect. And, um, I, yeah, I mean, like, I find, like, this movie does do a lot of interesting things with, you know, gender roles and um, how, like, falsely they're constructed, you know? Like, I have, um, like, you know, I have nieces and nephews, and I'm always kind of the uncle who's like, hey, you know, maybe it's okay if, you know, right your daughter or your son wants to play with this or dress that way. Like, it doesn't matter, you know? Um, and I think that, like, this movie should, like, be, like, taught in schools. <laughs> and, it, and it, you know, it has been. I mean, there there have been yeah. uh, professors who have taught this in queer studies classes, you know. Obviously, once again, like I said, it it plays very different to a queer audience. But even though I mentioned that Robert... Even though I mentioned that Roger Ebert gave it a, a kind of kind of a lukewarm review, but three, point, uh, three out of four stars... You know, he did say in his review that, like, this is destined for, like, the midnight cult circuit, which is just coded language for gay, (laughs) which is which is really kind of frustrating because it's like, well, this isn't ready. You know, mainstream audiences are not ready for this. And so it's only going to find its small cult following amongst homosexuals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like. We can have a discussion with Roger Ebert off night. Oh, yeah. I have a lot of opinions on Yeah, I'm not... I, I don't hold him on the pedestal that everybody else does. And sure, that no. doesn't make me I mean, popular. Like, reading some of his reviews, I'm like, wow. Like, this would... Be, he would be... You would be canceled. Like, he, yeah. if you were tweeting them out from, like, you know... Oh, absolutely. Or whatever. It's time for your first disclosure. Now, don't be intimidated. Why don't you start by telling us about the first time that you realized that you might be a lesbian? I'm not. Everyone just thinks I am. I shouldn't even be here. (laughs) That's a perfectly normal place to start. Why don't we discuss the issues in your intervention? Well, I'm a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. I have pictures of women around. You think that's normal? Sure. I never really thought about it. Have you ever had a boyfriend? Yes. For two years, we've been going steady. I really love him. He's smart and popular. He's got the biggest dick I've never seen. Well, um, have you ever had sex with him? I'm a Christian. It's really easy to be a prude when you're not attracted to him, isn't it? He's very handsome. But does he make you hot? I mean, do you think of him at night when you... I'm not perverted. I get good grades. I go to church. I'm a cheerleader. I'm not like all of you. Everyone reads Cosmo. Everyone looks at other girls all the time. But you only assume that they're thinking what you're thinking when they look... But they're not. We can talk about how this movie was rated NC-17 for, like, no reason. Yeah. Just because it has, you know, gay content or queer content. I, I, um, when I when I read that fact, and having just freshly rewatched it, I was like, this movie is a 
a PG-13 at best. At best, yeah. Um, like, the most adult thing is Eddie Cibrian's butt. Right. Which is it's probably the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Well, I yes. I mean, genuinely. But also, <laughs> like, you know, is is the complaint for a lot of people the the sex scene between um, Natasha Lyonne and Clea Duvall? Because I think that sex scene is so tender and well shot and handled so delicately and seriously that it yeah. it almost feels like it's in another film but i'm glad it's done that way because it doesn't feel you know exploitative at all in in the way that it's it's done and obviously uh you know i was actually i was i was just on a trip with a bunch of friends and we were talking about how um when it comes to porn Gay porn is usually uh, two men. Like when you talk about gay porn, it's you're usually talking about two men. But if you're like if you're talking about lesbian porn, more often than not, it's categorized as straight porn because two girls turn guys on, and and so yeah, yeah. I I think it's interesting to see this sex scene come in 1999 in this movie. That's just, it's really romantic. And I, I don't know, I, it, it, and watching it, I was like, okay, I'll give this, this really well handled. And I appreciate that. Obviously, you know, the director is a woman, she's a gay woman, but, you know, she could have done it any way that she wanted to. And she chose to present it in the, the most, I think the most sweet and romantic fashion. And like, I wonder if that's why, like, I made, you know, sort of this heteronormative MPAA so uncomfortable because it wasn't titillating. Right. And it was shot from, you know, a female lens, a queer lens. So, uh, because, like, when, you know, when you're talking about, like, straight straight people being self-performed about Carol, like, I was thinking about uh, Blue's the Warmest Color, which I think is, like, yeah. the most egregious example of, like, I mean, that, that hardly counts as a queer movie in my opinion because like there was like no queer people involved yeah but um, you know what does count as a queer movie though the youtube video of lesbians watching the gay sex scenes from blues <laughs> warm's color that should be like an oscar winning yeah it really should <laughs> um but yeah like i like i really like that sex scene as well because it was so like it just felt so i feel like i it's so rare to see you know like women having sex without it being from that heteronormative gaze. Um, and so I really appreciated that, like, this film included that. It also grounded the film and, like, made this, like, romance feel very believable. Yeah. You know, in this, like, heightened, like, parody world. And and that's and that's maybe my my one gripe about the movie. And this is just this is a personal opinion, but like I hate when a majority of development happens in a montage. And I do oh, sure. and I do feel like you know Clea Duvall's character Graham and Megan Natasha Leone's character like their love you know there's a hint of it, but really a majority of it happens during a montage. And like I. You know, I just, I just wish we got a little more breathing time for them to fall in love. Yeah. But also, it's a ninety-minute movie. It's barely ninety minutes, in fact, and 
it it basically almost didn't get released. So the fact that we got as much as we did, I, I guess I should be thankful for. But it's it's just one of those gripes that I have. It's like you can't fall in love in a montage and you can't win World War Two in a montage. Um yeah, but but, yeah. but I do think everything else is is handled really beautifully. I do wonder, and I this is just a, a thought exercise, maybe not even for this, but uh, you know, we're talking about young queer people and i think especially if you come from a small area or an isolated area um no matter what you will gravitate towards the other queer people and you know watching this movie as an adult i'm like would megan and graham have anything in common if they weren't trapped in this place together and really being forced to come to terms with their identities and you know i I think i I don't know, because there's this really telling line earlier in the beginning. Kathy Moriarty says, you know, oh, we lose a lot of people to college and, and liberal-minded thinking. What sort of person would Megan have been if her parents hadn't suspected this and then she went off to college and she realized she was a lesbian there? And, and what sort of life choices would she have had? Obviously, that's not this film, but I, I just think it's an interesting thought exercise. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a universe where she, you know, never comes to terms right. with her sexuality and marries, you know, either her high school boyfriend who can't kiss, <laughs> or, um, um, or like, or some, you know, some other figure like him. So, but I think, yeah, I think you're right. Like, I, it, this movie ends so abruptly. Like, it right. just ends, you know, on their. I mean, it's a very sweet ending and earned, but like. There's no, like, epilogue or anything. Well, there is, like, the epilogue at PFLAG, but right. not with Megan and... Uh, not with it, Natasha Leo. It is really well. weird that the epilogue is given to the parents, but that's, you know... I mean, it's it's mostly done as, like, a joke, obviously. Yeah, but. right. Um, but I, I imagine they, they probably won't last as a couple. Right, exactly. I mean, and that's... I mean, there's and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, everybody needs a first love. But, yeah. I, but it is really funny because it's like, oh, they're, you know they're thrown together in this certain circumstance. And I, and I think like, I think the movie plays with that on a couple different fronts. You know, there's this very, um, gothy type character who I'm having trouble remembering the name of, uh, I, I think it's Sinead. Yeah. Sinead, uh, yeah. who in order to try and make Megan jealous, Graham like starts dancing with her at a gay bar. And, obviously it hurts Sinead's feelings when, when she, when Graham realizes she's into Megan. Uh, but I, but it's one of, it's also the situations where it's like, Megan, do you really, I mean, Graham, do you really have anything in common with Sinead? Sinead, do you have anything in common with Graham? Or is yeah. it just that you're just in this situation <laughs> together? Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that's, I think that's a very real thing for a young queer person to go through. Um, it's also yeah. funny what, what I feel bad that I keep, you know, harping on these reviews, but they, they were a major part of my research in, into this. Um, the other thing I think is funny is I kept running into a lot of reviews that were like, how could she not know she was a lesbian? How could it like come to a realization? And it's like, Oh honey. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they're, they're the human's mind and capability for deceiving oneself is endless. so so i don't know the it's it's just really funny that all these different little things that uh that you don't think about that that you know non-queer people don't tend to understand yeah well you know what like one other thing that i found really um 
really smart about this movie is like uh, Claire Duvall's character being like making the choice to like go through with this uh, program because she's at risk of being disowned, which is something that's like so real. So and real. I felt like I mean we hardly talk about queer homelessness now, but it, like twenty years ago, like I must have been like I mean. I, I mean, I can imagine people are just like, oh, disowned is like, you know, like kids get disowned all the right. time, I'm, I guess. But, but like, I like within the, this like queer context, it, like it's so much more like alarming. And like, I was like, again, just like surprised that like something as serious as that made its way into this like very lighthearted, like cutesy comedy. And like, again, like just surprised by these reviews, just like dismissing it as just like, like nothing. Cause I'm like, this is such a like real topic that like, is such a like major part of like queer culture, right? Unfortunately, well, that and I think I think one hundred percent a lot of those a lot of those themes, uh, you know, that's that's part of the thing is they all come from a real place. Like I, yeah. you know, a couple of years ago or last year, I actually believe, uh, Miseducation of Cameron Post came out, which is sort of the the serious mirror of this, and yeah. I I didn't love that movie but i think i liked it a lot more than than a lot of the the critical basis tended to like it um and it's just funny to see all the things that that still exist in this very harmful way of thinking like the gay root which is the idea that your uh, queerness or homosexuality or, or bisexuality comes from uh, some traumatic event that occurred during your childhood. Um, yeah. And in this movie, it's played for laughs, but it is a very harmful idea that there is, you know, this one thing that ma- quote unquote made you gay. Um, and I, d- I don't know. I think it's interesting that the, that the, the, it, this type of quote unquote therapy has always been ar- around and is always a fraud. Yeah, I mean, like, I was just going to bring up, actually, like, we're, like, I mean, there was that film and Boy Erased as well, yeah. which I didn't actually, unfortunately, I haven't seen either of those two, but... Um, I would recommend... Boy Erased, I, I specifically avoided that movie because yeah. I felt very exploitative, <laughs> and um, I just, I didn't trust, you know, Joel Edgerton to make a sensitive movie, you know, like, because, like, I've heard Camera Post is very sensitive. Yes. Um, and very, like, heartfelt. Um, but uh, I need to watch both. I mean, I guess I should watch both as a comparison, but, like, I... Um, like, thinking about, like, those two movies being very, like, serious dramas, and I'm like, is there any way to, like, tell this, this kind of story without making it sensationalized and a lot of queer suffering, as you've always seen? And, like, to me, it's like, yeah, do it in, in like, the guise of this, like, very funny, satirical, romantic comedy, because you can, like, kind of sneak in all these, like, heavy themes, but still have it be, uh, have it be, like, a, an actually enjoyable experience that, like, means something to, like, queer people and not just, you know, misery porn or, or whatever you want to call it. Right. And I, and I think, you know, in a way, that's, that's what Jamie Babbitt was trying to do. She was, she was trying to make a, a comedy that satirizes this, this type of, um, you know, destructive behavior, but also, in a way makes it more palatable for a universal audience. And I'm not saying that everything needs to be made for a universal audience because clearly, you know, a lot of things were missed, uh, by, 
the yeah. you know a, a portion of the audience that that she was aiming for but uh but i i liked that she tried it and that she was willing to do something interesting and it like you said it doesn't have to be about you know the misery or the suffering and not every story has to end sadly but you can talk about the things that are sad it is right. you know when you talked about graham the, the thought that she could be disowned, I think the thing that people probably focused on is her father tells her, you know, she'll be cut off. And so their brain instantly thinks like, oh, well, she's a trust fund baby. And it's like, no, it's it's much more serious than that. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, she won't have a home. She won't have people surrounding and loving her, caring for her. She won't have a place to live. She won't be able to eat. And this happens to thousands upon thousands of queer you know be they trans or gay or bi people all over the world uh right you know and that's i mean there's even much darker ways that you know homosexuals are treated around the world so it's it's kind of nice to be able to watch a movie that has those themes and and allows you to think about them but doesn't make you suffer for it, you know? Right, yeah. Um, and I, you know, in thinking about Kathy Moriarty's character, we kind of mentioned that, like, she'll just continue to kind of run this clinic or camp or whatever. One thing that I'm really glad that this movie didn't do is, like, make her into a closet lesbian. Yes. But um, a lot of the reviews I, seem to imply that. But I'm not, once again, I'm done talking about the reviews. But, like, but a <laughs> I mean, lot of... Look, I love to drag free people. Yeah. So, but, I mean, we can talk about it all the time. Um, but, like, to me, like, you know, like, recently, actually, like, it's kind of fortuitous that we're talking about this movie because, you know, we're recording this in early September and... Some guy who ran a conversion therapy, you know, clinic just came out as gay, and he's apparently very regretful of whatever he did. And like, I don't even care to remember his name. Yeah. Um, because like he's garbage. But like, I was just thinking like a lot of people making jokes of like, oh, like all homophobes are gay and stuff. And I'm like, I don't like that narrative. No. And I'm like really glad this movie didn't buy into it because it's such a cheap joke. It, it, and it's such yeah it is and it's always treated as a joke and that's yeah that's that's why it's so it's so frustrating uh yeah i don't i don't know i i think i think the other great thing about kathy moriarty's character and that's not to move away from this subject at all but i think the other great thing um is for as as mustache twirling as she is in terms of being a villain uh, I think the movie is very sly about the way that it slowly becomes more and more militant. Um, you know, there's the scene where Clea Duvall's parents tell her that, you know, they're, they'd cut her off if she, if she doesn't leave this conversion therapy camp straight. Um, her father, and I'm, I'm about to say a word I don't really love, so gird your loins, but her father calls one of the other characters a faggot. And Kathy Moriarty's like, we don't use that language here. And then later in the film, when she's angry enough, she has the kids protest outside um, yeah. the 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 people that are ferreting, you know, the people away from the conversion camp to to show them that being themselves is okay. Uh, she makes all these signs that say that word on them yeah and it's interesting she can yeah she's like weaponizing it right and it's interesting to watch 
her, you know, it's like, well, that's the real her. And because there are people that she wants to be on her side, uh, she's in the presence of, she can act high and mighty. But in all honesty, you know, when she's alone and private, she's incredibly homophobic. That, I mean, that and the fact that, like, she's basically, like, this, like, you know, this scene where she's, like, having them imitate, you know, sexual activity. Like, yeah. to me, that felt like sexual assault. Yeah. Because, like, no one's consenting here. Absolutely are, not. It's, like, by coercion. And, I mean, that scene does have one of the funniest lines in it, where she's just, like, fuck foreplay. You know, a real man just puts it in, pumps, I mean, and then yeah. pulls out. I guess, like, I, could, yeah, I do want to, like, bring up that, like, we are having a very serious discussion about all these serious themes, but, like, all this stuff is pretty much, like, done through, like, really funny comedy. Like, this is a really funny movie. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, like, I'm afraid we're making it sound, like, boy erased or whatever, but, like... And that's and that's yeah. and that's the the real genius of the film is yeah. that once again, almost all of these situations are incredibly dark and at some point or another have maybe happened to a very large percentage of the LGBTQ plus IA community. Um, so it's it's funny to be able to, to to have this outlet in which you can laugh at them and see the absurdity of them and i yeah. i get that a lot of people think of that as like as not strong enough of a condemnation but being able to point out how how just off kilter these ideas are i don't know i yeah. th- it has it has a really amazing hand in in doing that i mean like i guess like to be able to and like i hate this phrase but like hold a mirror up to society right right next you're gonna tell me that camp's a character in the movie <laughs> i mean but yeah, yeah you're right but like to do that and like um because like w- what this movie is doing which i think is very important is that like through like by sh- showing a potentially homophobic audience, um, what that like they're like they're being forced to confront their um, conservative heteronormative ideas about you know like you know motherhood, fatherhood, you know gender roles, for sexuality, all that stuff, and um, by like making it strange and absurd, you're kind of being forced to reckon with your own biases and own prejudices. So, and I think that's why this movie works so well as satires that like we can, um, we're, we're just being like, it, may, it can just even be like as simple as like the clothes they wear, you know, like if you're a parent who's saying like, you know, my son can't wear dresses and then you see this like aggressively absurd um, outfits that these poor boys have to wear and that these like girls have to wear, then you're like, okay, yeah, like that. <laughs> it just seems, it's so silly, I guess. So it's just like, it like breaks down like what we think of as established, you know, rules when it's actually just a construct that we've created in our own minds. Right. And, you know, obviously I don't, I don't know. Like it's, it's when it comes down to brass tacks, like it's really about a a movie about a, a girl who learns to love herself and then finds love. And I think that's the other important thing. Um, You know, it uses, this movie uses a lot of romantic comedy trappings. I mean, really, if you were, I don't know if you were to make it about straight people and not set it at a conversion therapy camp, but some other say it's, you know, like rehab or something. Right. uh, 
I think a lot of these these things would be seen as charming, but because it's got this queer bent, um, you know, you're able to subvert some of those things. And also, I and this is not, you know, I, it's funny. I was I was actually listening to the broadcast news episode earlier, and your guest, who was really fantastic, by the way. Um, you were both talking about how broadcast news isn't thought about as romantic comedy. And, and you kind of got into the area where like people, I think people think romantic comedy is kind of a dirty word, but I think people think horror, you know, as a genre is kind of a dirty word as well, uh, because there's so many reductive things in it. But I think, I think there is a certain power to a well done romantic comedy. And one of the things that I like about, but I'm a cheerleader that it has that a lot of other romantic comedies don't have, um, is she learns to love herself first. Yeah. And that's a, that's a huge thing. She learns to accept who she is and, and really be like, well, this is, you know, who I am. And I want you to love the, the me that I've accepted. You know, when she like kind of confronts her parents about it, and she doesn't really apologize for having, you know, this, you know, having sex with Claire Duvall. Like, I was, it felt like a really empowering moment, and just like, and how she just chooses to leave, and she's like, you know what, I don't need to live under, you know, this house. Absolutely, and, like live with her parents. Like, I, I mean, you know, it is scary to be, you know like without you know a home and stuff but i think it's also can be liberating for someone to acknowledge the fact like they're not going to have the like happy you know life that they would have that they want to have with their own parents they have to like find it elsewhere i mean like we've you know queer cinema is all about the, you know the found family absolutely yeah and that's what you know that's what she finds at the um at that house with the with the couple yeah and and i i don't know i appreciate the movie for that because uh, I think with less deft hands, uh, you, you wouldn't have gotten that first, you know. And and I and I like that, you know. It, in the end, the way that she wins Cleo all over is she, she does a cheer for her, and it's silly, and it's embarrassing, and it's you know, it can't be. But it's, yeah, but it's who so she charming. is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's who she is. She's learned to accept that she can be the sweet, naive, bubbly cheerleader person that she is, but that she's also gay and she's going to live her life as a gay woman. Yeah, it's not mutually exclusive. Absolutely. And like, how often do we get, you know, positive representation of cheerleaders? I know. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. I, it's like this and bring it on pretty much. Yeah, really. <laughs> I don't really have any final thoughts, but do you have anything else you want to bring up? Um, not or anything else we didn't touch upon. Not that I can think of. I mean, I I think you know I do think this film is really charming. I think that it was a labor of love for many people. Uh, Jamie Babbitt knew Clea Duvall and really wanted her in the film, and basically the rest of the cast came from Clea Duvall. I, um, uh, Natasha Leone saw the script in the back of Clea Duvall's car and read it. And contacted her agent to ask about it, which I yeah. I, I just love that about Natasha Leone. Um, there was somebody else cast in the lead role uh, originally, and she backed out due to religious beliefs, um, which should tell you everything you need to know about this film. I mean, I'm dying to know who that was. I like, I don't know either. That's the only. I don't think know, we'll ever find out. Yeah, I don't think we will either. Uh, you know, Arsenio Hall 
was actually going to play Mike in the film, but then he thought it might be bad for his career to play a gay man. Oh boy! So I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad RuPaul got that job. Uh, I also read that Rosario Dawson was considered. Yes, for and the and the executives were like basically they were like not all American enough, which is coded for not white, which is yeah. I mean, like again, like nowadays, like that would be. Um, like, I can see how 1999, right. where it's like, we want, you know, 1999 is also the year of, like, American beauty, you know? Right. Like, it's like, uh, like, all American, yeah, like, you're right, it is code. And I can see, like, that, like, I think that's, like, disgusting to think about, but also, like, I understand, like, why. But it, but isn't I mean, it why that is? But, but isn't it now, frustrating like, to understand? Like I I, yeah. I completely agree with you. I and I totally I totally get it too. But isn't it like is, in your brain? Isn't it kind of gross to be like I I I know why? And it's like yeah, yeah like yeah. oh we're everything's so fucked up. <laughs> Ugh, God, you know. Um. But yeah, yeah. Uh, just just a real quick thing. You know, I I think the other thing that's that's great about this movie is we're just incredibly lucky to have it that it it found finance you know it was made for a million dollars um and you know it was nurtured by people who loved it and i think in the end we're you know even though it did have to be trimmed just a tiny bit by you know to get the r rating that it it should be rated lower uh, I think we're really getting the film that the director wanted and wanted it to mean so much to people. And I, and I think it does. Yeah. Um, well, that's a great place to end. Gavin, where can people find you online? Um, so I'm on Twitter at, at friendless mean, which is how I'm going to die someday. So I thought it made a good <laughs> Twitter name. Uh, you can also listen to me biweekly on the film podcast, uh, the mixed reviews, which is at the mixed reviews on Twitter. Um, and you can get that podcast anywhere. Basically it's on Apple podcasts, Google play music, Spotify, Stitcher, um, I think the only place we're not on, uh, it doesn't matter. We're everywhere, but, uh, but <laughs> that I co-host that with my friend Louie and it's a podcast where we take a film subject, uh, such as an actor, director, or mini genre, and we sort of break it down into its parts and tell you what really works and what doesn't work. Um, yes, I, okay, not to be too weird, but I love your podcast. Like, I've listened to all the episodes. Oh, that's not weird. And, Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, big fan of it. It's like, you, it's like such a great format for a show. So I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, I, I always wanted to do a, a film podcast. I did a bunch of podcasts beforehand and I could just, I never really found an avenue in, and Louie is actually the one who pitched it to me. And I was just like, you know what? Why not? <laughs> and, and I think yeah, it's evolved yeah. into something that's a lot of fun. So thank you. That means a lot. And thank you for inviting me on. Yes. No, thank you so much for coming on here. I'll have to get Louie on here. Yeah. Uh, if you wants to. Um, but yeah, I know I really appreciate it. And I'm glad that I finally watched this movie. I don't know why. I, I mean, I know why I avoided it for so long, but I am really glad that I ha- I, I've seen it and can recommend it. Um, you can find me on Twitter at TheManish89 and also please follow my podcast at ItHotToBeYou on Twitter and you can find my writing at Talk Film Society uh, Gavin, again, thanks so much this has been a great conversation I really yeah, enjoyed it so. Well, thank you, seriously I was when you asked me to do this, I was like oh, this, this means a lot to me, so thank you I appreciate it <laughs> Awesome, bye
yeah, and thanks to Lucia for listening and please watch this movie. It's a treasure. All right, bye. Bye bye.